Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance as I am on a journey. A journey for more light, but more especially light that has been lost, forgotten, or hidden among the ages gone by. The light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose. Light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. Everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers. I want to thank you guys for joining us again. As you may notice right off the bat, this isn't our normal recording studio. I'm actually doing this one from a hospital waiting room. As uh, some of you guys know, had some stuff going on in my family recently. One of those things is uh, Brother Angelo, who you know from the intro to Historical Light, came down with cancer. He's actually in the hospital currently, and that's why we're trying to get editing stuff done from the waiting room. I also unfortunately lost my younger brother last week, so kind of hence with all that stuff going on. Weather hasn't been as many episodes coming out as normal lately, and uh, just been really hectic. So thank you guys for bearing with me. promise we will eventually get back to normal time and schedule, but just until then, just give me a little slack. I very much appreciate it. So with that, tonight's not going to be a normal format. Um, this is kind of going to be it besides the interview. Um, we do have a great interview tonight. Some of you, it's kind of a taboo subject, but we're covering the history behind it, so keep that in mind. Uh, not picking one side of the gate or the other, um, just we're covering history, so keep that in mind. I do have to give a disclaimer on the uh, interview itself. been having some issues with the recording software I use, and I've tried to cut and paste, but the audio from the video on our guest uh, just doesn't match up perfectly. So I try to do a lot of editing in that, but still not perfect. So bear with that. If it's too much to handle, jump over to the podcast side. But as always, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for sticking in there. Thanks for all the kind words, and we'll see you soon. Take care. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light. Very pleased to have on the show this evening, Brother Julian Reese. And uh, if you don't mind, Brother, I'll go ahead and hand it back over to you. If uh, you can further introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you. Okay, Alex. Well, it's really good to be here. Uh, I was initiated into Freemasonry in 1968. So this year I'll be celebrating my 50th anniversary in Freemasonry. Um, in the Kirby Lodge in London, under the United Grand Lodge of England, and um, I don't know, what can I tell you, I was master of that lodge uh, twice, the second time in their centenary year in 2000. I was also master of the German-speaking lodge in London, Pilgrim Lodge, um, and a member, founding member of the Stone Society, uh, deputy editor of Freemasonry Today, the quarterly journal of, uh, of Freemasonry in, uh, in England. And um, yeah, that's about it. 
Wonderful. Well, so glad to have you on the show this evening. Um, now, what is it that originally got you into Freemasonry? What is it that really uh, kind of sunk it in to interest you? I'll be absolutely brutally honest with you. First, I wasn't that interested. But a, um, a neighbor of mine, uh, who was master of his lodge, master of the lodge that I joined eventually, um, asked me one day if I'd be interested in, in joining Freemasonry, and I said, yes, why not? It was, sort of, it was one of those why not moments, not sort of, you know, yes, I've got to join this. It really is, it really does appeal to me. It was a, a why not moment. And so I joined it, you know, more or less uh, casually. And it was only after joining I realized there was something in it, something that that I could grab. Um, I liked in particular the fact that the members were not judgmental about each other. Every other sphere of life I'd been in, in the army and uh, school and in business, uh, people were all being judgmental about each other. But in Freemasonry, I found they weren't. And I kind of liked this. I thought this was this was okay. I think a lot of people later, probably uh, totally relate with you on that. On that, there, it's, there's something about Freemasonry when you jump into it that you know even to this day can be hard to fully uh, expound on. Is you know what that hook is, but there's there's definitely something there as you uh, as you allude to. So I totally agree with you on that aspect. Now, um, it doesn't sound like you did, but do you have any family history um, that may have led you towards Freemasonry, or that you may have found out later on? No, I didn't. Well, um, I found out that um, uh, the, there was a, my grandmother's father was a Freemason, but I found that out much, much later on. Sure. And I, of, course, of course, I never knew him anyway, my great-grandmother, I never knew him. But no, there was no, uh, apart from that, there was no um, uh, history of Masonic uh, adherence in my family. In fact, my father was very... Uh, opposed to Freemasonry, he was quite really? Catholic. And, uh, yeah, he was quite Catholic, and so he was kind of fairly opposed to it. So I had to keep it a bit quiet at first that I joined <laughs> for, 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 for fear of, of upsetting him. But um, no, so the, the, there was no family involvement at all. Very glad you uh, you made that leap um, into the Brotherhood and uh, kind of found that spot for yourself within it. Now, you're going to be talking about a, uh, a very interesting subject that uh, might not set well with some, but it is a history of Freemasonry nonetheless. So it's going to be a very interesting topic. I'm going to kind of let you uh, turn over to you and tell us what that is going to be exactly. Well, perhaps I should begin by telling you a little bit about how I came to be a writer on Masonic topics. Yeah, definitely. Because... As I was deputy editor of the uh, magazine Freemasonry Today, which in those days was independent, it wasn't under the control of the Grand Lodge, um, with Michael Bajant as my uh, editor-in-chief. You, you'll know him from Holy Blood, Holy Grail. And also a spat he had with Dan Brown over the Da Vinci Code. But we won't go into that. That's, that's going off on a tangent. Um, but uh, Michael and I... Uh, uh, we were very successful with this magazine. I mean, as a newcomer to the market, it, it grew very quickly, and it, it became, it, it, yeah, we had a pretty, pretty sizable um, circulation. Um, but uh, and I wrote a regular page for it, uh, which was more esoteric than 
a lot of Freemasons write. Um, I wrote about symbolism, allegory. I wrote about the matters of the heart. I wrote about what involves us deep down about Freemasonry. What is about, let's say, the point at the center of the circle. Uh, I, I went into that a great deal. Anyway, so after writing all this, um, the uh, Masonic publisher in my country, Lewis Masonic, uh, invited me to write a few books. So that was that was the first book I wrote, which was um, Making Light. It's a handbook for Freemasons, as its name implies. And that uh, goes through the degrees and explains to the candidate what he's just been going through. Um, after that, I wrote a book on people who want to become Freemasons, so you want to be a Freemason. Then I wrote another one, which was actually a little series of talks for 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 lodges, you know, when they don't have a program, you can talk, the stairway of Freemasonry. They're short talks, and they're quite kind of digestible, you know, they're quite, quite easily... Uh, easy to deliver and they're easy to listen to and they're, they're not that long so your audience's eyes don't glaze over. So any director of ceremonies can, I mean there's a typical one, it's just it's just a couple of pages, just a couple of A5 pages, it's nothing. So you know you can easily put that to a lodge when they haven't got any work. Then came this which is um, the book on the tracing boards um, which has been probably my most successful book. Um, I go through the tracing boards of the three degrees in the emulation ritual, but also I talk a lot about other countries. There are quite a few American boards in there, a couple of American boards. Okay. Following on the heels of that, I published another one, which I called Ornaments, Furniture, and Jewels. Now, this, again, illustration of of um, symbols and how they develop into allegories for us. So there's quite a lot there in terms of allegory. Um, but at about this time, this is what I'm leading up to, I became a little disillusioned with the United Grand Lodge of England because they appeared to renege on the promise of spirituality in our um, ceremonies. In fact, the Deputy Grand Master actually said in Open Grand Lodge, uh, Freemasonry, quote, most certainly does not deal in spirituality. And I was very concerned about that. There were thousands of other people. We had quite a debate going on the Internet about this for a while. A lot of guys in New Jersey thought this was going too far. Um, anyway, so um, the upshot of that was that I left United Grand and joined the uh, International Order of Freemasonry for Men and Women, the Doyumar, what used to be known as Co-Freemasonry. Um, now, that actually was me a trip back to Freemasonry's roots, because I found there, devoid of all the business of rank, precedence, and flashy regalia, and all the rest of it, and uh, devoid of of, of any kind of ambition and, you know, vying for, for, for recognition by senior people in Grand Lodge, devoid of all that, okay? 
And there we were actually getting down and talking about the real meaning of Freemasonry in our uh, meetings and in the conferral of degrees. And there was a hell of a lot of spirituality about it. And I took to it straight away. It was just like a breath of fresh air. I really loved it. And anyway, um, the result of that was this book, which is Today's Freemasonry for Men and Women. And in this, we talk about the history of how uh, by gender Freemasonry came about, which it started in in France in the late 19th century. Uh, Georges Martin and Maria Derem got together. She got herself initiated in the lodge, much to the horror of the, horror of the brethren in the lodge at that time. Um, but she got herself initiated, and she and Georges Martin founded what later came to be the Order of Co-Freemasonry. And Annie Bazant, whose picture I have here, brought it then. She went to Paris and became initiated, uh, along with a friend of hers, Francesca Arundel, and she uh, then brought it to England and uh, founded the British, what is today, the British Federation of the Order in England. And so that, that's how that came about. It's a very brief, potted history of how uh, bi-gender Freemasonry originated in England, but there's more of it in this book. Wonderful. Well, I definitely have to, I have unfortunately not read that book yet, but it's on my list at this point. So you, you uh, mentioned some interesting points there, right? So you're in what we call the, you know, the mainstream Grand Lodge system, and you just weren't seeing or finding what you were truly seeking there on the, uh, you know, the esoterics and everything else, um, which I think is a, is a common complaint um, in today's Freemasonry with a lot of people. Uh, the esoteric side, the spiritual side um, can become a very... Uh, kind of taboo subject for a lot of people. You know, that, that kind of confuses me because that, to me, is the essence of Freemasonry itself. It's not the, the pancake breakfasts and the fundraisers. Um, you know, it's, it's that deeper meaning within. So you found it best, or you weren't able to find um, those aspects within the, uh, the main mainstream uh, Grand Lodge system, so you went elsewhere to find that. So within the, uh, the co-masonry side, you see a lot more of the more direct pointed into the spiritual and esoteric side? Well, let me go back first to what you said about not finding it where I came from. Sure. Because actually, that's a slight oversimplification. Uh, there are many, many Freemasons, uh, and I know many on your side of the Atlantic as well, um, who, who are very uh, adherent to uh, an esoteric spiritual form Freemasonry in which you look inside yourself, in which you develop your, your own structure, your own edifice, mm -hmm. um, and with that you you build the temple to humanity. Sure. And and there are there are many, many thousands, both your side of the Atlantic and mine, uh, who who will subscribe to that. They find it difficult, however, because mostly their grand lodges, both yours and mine, tend to not have much time for that kind of Freemason. The senior Grand Lodge officers I know, few exceptions, generally 
want to play that down or even talk it down and say, you know, just stick with the stick with your uh, normal lodge program, stick with your normal lodge procedure, keep uh, you know learning the ritual and keep uh, raising money for charity and doing all these good things. But it doesn't address the central point of Freemason. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when um, when I made the move over to uh, the International Order of Freemasonry for Men and Women, um, the first thing I noticed was the very deep concentration on, um, on, on things of the spirit. I mean, just to give you an example, before the lodge was opened, we all lined up, and we do today in my lodge, we line up in a file outside the lodge and maintain complete silence and shed all the cares of the world that might have been around us on that day up until that moment. Relax, breathe in, and make sure that we're centered on ourselves before we then process gently into the temple. Now, that sets the scene, you, I'm sure you can see, sets the scene for a very different kind of experience from the kind of, from the kind of joshing that you sometimes get outside lodges between the you know, good-natured stuff as it is. Uh, I have nothing against it, but it doesn't, it doesn't sit with that inner work that you're dedicating yourself to when you go into church. And I know of many outside of the, of the Atlantic who, who missed this and who are trying to introduce it into their lodges. I gave a talk at, um, at the, um, the Washington Memorial in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, the title of which was The Spiritual Path of Freemasonry. When was this? In 20, ooh, 2011, I think. Yeah, about 2011. And, you know, the guys were absolutely with me. They were, they, they were absolutely with me. They really for this sort of Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the, there is a big following for this, not enough at the moment, and by and large, Grand Lodges the world over tend not to be too sympathetic towards this sort of approach. Sure. Yeah, I would say, you know, on our side, luckily with uh, with my Grand Lodge, Grand Lodge of Kansas, um, they, they are very adapt to that and they're very open to it. Um, the, the issue that, you know, I see in my neck of the woods uh, generally falls more on the lodge level itself. There, you know, there tends to be a lot of lodges just aren't interested um, in that. And a lot of guys uh, like myself have to follow that path uh, individually. Um, but, you know, coming into today, I do see kind of that, you know, the history coming back and more and more people are... Uh, kind of finding those roots of Freemasonry and becoming more interested back in that. And, hey, you know, find out this is more than just the social club. There's there's something deeper here. And I, I think that's vital, you know, for Freemasonry as a whole, you know, Grand Lodge, no Grand Lodge, just uh, kind of looking at Freemasonry in general uh, to keep it alive and keep it to its core. I think that is uh, very vital that we do find that that base, uh, the, those mm -hmm. base teachings within it. And I mean, uh, looking at the spiritual side of things for a moment, mm -hmm. you've got to you've got to admit, you know, um, uh, as a race, the human race, we're going we're going to church on Sundays less and less. I mean, churches are empty. I think in your country as, as well as mine. Where then are we going to get the nourishment we need for our spirit if we're not going to church anymore? 
where are we going to get spirituality? And the other thing I would say about this is, if you've got an organization like Freemasonry dedicated to the perfection of humanity, how can you do that with only half of humanity? As long as you exclude women, you're going to exclude half of the human race. I don't see it. It doesn't work anymore. Yes, it takes some use. It takes some time to get used to it for a, a hardened old Freemason like me. It did take some time for me to get used to it. But trust me, once you've made the jump, it, there's nothing more natural in the world than to sit down with brothers and sisters in the same lodge. And, and trust me again, if I may, the women, uh, 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 the sisters, in, in my experience, contribute a different dimension to debate in the lodge to what men contribute. They have a, a very, very different contribution to make and a very valid one. And that's that's my experience. I'd say it's a valid point. It's a valid point. Um, now, I will just kind of jump here and lead a disclaimer because there's some guys that are very uh, their beliefs and are probably at the point of just wanting to turn it off right now. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I would say if we, we can have an open mind here, um, as Masons in general and kind of look outside that whole jurisdictional aspect um, because right now you know we're dealing with an aspect of we took an oath and our Grand Lodge doesn't allow this and okay so maybe what we're talking about here we can't intermingle and uh, sit and lodge together but what we can do is realize that there is a common ground of interest um, we are both interested in uh, supporting and going deep into this belief system um, into this deeper spirituality that we call Freemasonry and that's on both sides of the fence so you know in the same way uh, that in Lodge we look beyond um, individual religions right here we're just looking at the basis of Freemasonry uh, so go about this uh, you know to the viewers go about this conversation with an open mind just seeing that no matter your personal beliefs on the situation we both have a common interest here and in, uh, you know look at this for the betterment um, so with you switching over from the mainstream Grand Lodge system to that of one accepting women, it, it sounded by the way you were um, going about it that you were looking more for the study aspect. Now, were you pro-women and Freemasonry before switching over, or was that more an adaptation or something you kind of accepted after the switch? To be honest with you, I had never given it much thought. To me, it was like it was so natural going into Freemasonry into an all-male environment that I never gave it a thought. I never gave it a thought at all. I mean, um, it's 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 odd that that you know churches have admitted women into the ministry. Almost all the churches, except maybe the Roman Catholics, have admitted women into their ministry, and that's been broadly speaking, uh, welcomed by all sectors of society, that women should, some would say, at last uh, achieve their rightful position within uh, Christianity or Judaism or, or whichever faith you practice. But, um, so where was I? I think I've gone off the track a bit. Um, well, what, yeah, so... Um, was I interested in the participation of women before um, I joined? No, not particularly. But once I began to think about it, um, I came to the realization that, you know, the, 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 this, this phrase of mine is really one which is worth considering. An organization like Freemasonry is dedicated to the 
perfection of humanity. I think we would all agree on that. Now, how are you going to do that if you exclude half of humanity? And that's that's best my case. I, I need to know, you know, and so, yes, it came on me, I suppose, at about the same time as I made the switch. That realization that, um, so no, it, it, was, it was nothing that sort of, oh, well, I suppose I'll have to put up with women if I join uh, this, this lot. It wasn't that at all. It was, I wanted to join them because I, I sensed that their attitude towards the spiritual and the esoteric was where I wanted to be. Sure. And at the same time, there were women in it, so I wanted to see how that worked, and I found that it did work. Very interesting. And, you know, uh, just to kind of let everyone know, I'm not picking sides here. I, <laughs> you know, that's a, that tends to be a dangerous topic uh, in, into Freemasonry. Uh, but, but you know, it, it is a, a valid point to sit here and uh, and look at it on both sides and see, you know, this this is Freemasonry and it does exist. You know, that's that's one thing I see in uh, in social media today, which, you know, is kind of the diarrhea of humanity to begin with. But one of the key arguments out there is, you know, you'll have uh, co-ed Freemasons come on and uh, everyone's like, oh, there's there's no such thing. Well, I, mm -hmm. I think we can kind of get past that. It, it does exist whether you want it to or not. You know, the uh, the question of recognition is really all that comes into play. Yeah, um, I, I had to resign from the United Grand Lodge of England. Sure. I had to. OK, there was no way. Well, first of all, the um, International Order of Freemasonry for Men and Women don't accept dual membership. So they, if you want to join us, you're going to have to resign from UGLE. Won't stop you, if you wanted to, visiting their lodges, but of course, let you. So here I am, I'm in a situation, uh, I've got to say goodbye to my friend on the all-male side. I've got to say goodbye to the lodges that I used to visit because they won't admit me anymore. Um, I, I, with some lodges, I have to say, with some of them, uh, I go to their dinners after the meetings because they're not tiled and therefore it's okay. okay so, that, so I still do that with, with one or two lodges. But uh, by and large, no, I'm regarded as, as a, a lot caused by the United Grand Lodge of England. They think I'm beyond the pale. They won't, they won't talk to me. They won't, they won't do anything with me, which is fine. I mean, it's up to them, you know. Sure. However, I, however, I have to say, our policy in is that if a man or a woman is a regularly uh, initiated Freemason, there is no reason at all why they should not come and visit my The result of that, therefore, is that what I have in my lodge is a constant stream of visitors of guys who come across from the United Grand Lodge of England keeping it very quiet, keeping it very clandestine, right, because they, they would be thrown out if they were found out. So they're coming over visiting our lodges clandestinely. And, you know, that's fine with me. I'm, I'm very, I'm fine with that. Um, but unfortunately, United Grand Lodge of England doesn't um, extend that amount of generosity to people from other obediences. Sure. So you said... Um you know, co-masonry kind of launched in the 19th century. Um, where where do they come off um, basically jumping into the allotment? Was it kind of a personal innovation or um, where do they come off jumping? Because obviously, you know, over here are, are, uh, are rules, so to speak, say, you know, only men can join. Um, so 
who is the first to say, you know, that's not going to work or just interpret it in a different manner to allow women to join? Well, it was, as I say, uh, Maria de Reim in France uh, applied to a lodge of which a number of her male friends were, were, were members, applied to that lodge to be initiated. And at first, of course, most of the guys in the lodge said, I'm afraid that's not possible. But after a while, a number of them were saying, I mean, she was a great mover and shaker for feminism anyway. She was for women's rights, which in those days, I'm talking 1880s, later 1880s, you know, mm -hmm. this, is, uh, this, is, this is revolutionary stuff. Um, anyway, the, 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 the long and the short was they decided to initiate her. And as a result, a number of the brethren from that lodge resigned because they said, we can't do this. We can't have women in Freemasonry. But it, it worked. And they, one or two of her friends then came, female friends then came in as well. And before you knew it, they had this bi-gender lodge, which most Freemasons in France kind of said, this is, this is ultra vires. We're not going to do this. You know, you can, you, you can do what you like, but you can't be part of mainstream Freemasonry. At sure. which at which point they then founded their own obedience, their own Grand Lodge, and said, fine, if you won't accept us, we're going to do it on our own. And so they did. There were, I think I'm right in saying, 19 or 20 lodges in France, which were by gender. And in 1902, Annie Bazant, picture I showed you, came over from England, initiated with a friend of hers, came back to England with some male friends of hers. They founded a lodge, and that was the beginning of, of co-Freemasonry in England. And I have to say that actually it's from that that co-Freemasonry in America originated, because she then, as part of her remit, if you like, to spread the word around the world, went to America and assisted in the founding of the order in America. Very, very interesting. So that's a lot to sink in. <laughs> so well, with, with that. Actually, actually, once you've read that, once you've read the book, you, you'll, you'll find out a lot more. <laughs> sure. sure. Hey, yeah, I, I plan to do that. You know, like, like I was telling everybody, um, regardless of your feelings on it, you know, this, this is an aspect within uh, Freemasonry's history. Um, you know, whether you see that as, you know, approved history or, um, kind of going to the side, uh, you know, it is what it is. It happened. It, it, it's history. Um, so at that point, it sounds like, you know, this female wanted to join. It was kind of against the rules, but, you know, deep down, they couldn't see um, that personal reason of why that was a rule. So they, they went ahead with it. So looking at that in the deeper aspect of why mainstream masonry says men only, um, what are your personal feelings of why that was ever a thing? Why, why did mainstream masonry uh, have that correlation of men only? Okay. Well, I mean, this is this is a historical thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to if if we go back the the uh, the claimed three hundred years to seventeen seventeen in London. Uh, I mean, what were what was the position of women in those days? Women were the property of their husbands. Literally, they were the property of their husbands, in just the same way as their 
coach and horses or their farm or their, their furniture in their rooms. The wife was simply another piece of property. She had no um, say in anything. She, she didn't have a voice. She, she, did, she couldn't control her own money. Any money she had when she married, it went to the husband. That was it. End of story. She would depend on him, him for everything. Okay. So women didn't count. The brutal truth of the matter is that in the early 18th century, women simply did not count. They were useful. They were adorn, adornments to society, looking more They bore children, which was their prime function, you know, was to produce an heir for the, for the aristocracy. Um, and, and, and that was it. Um, but in terms of actually having any determining role in society, they had none. Okay, now we we got to face that. So, what would have been the point in 1717 of admitting a woman to a lodge? She didn't have anything to say. She didn't have anything to give. She didn't have anything to contribute. Nothing. So, you know, that, that and so historically, women have been excluded. Not just in Freemasonry. I mean, you've seen it throughout society in the 18th, 19th, and much of the 20th century. I don't know how it is in your country, but in my country, women are still, in many, many parts of our society, struggling for equal pay with men doing the same job. Okay, it's absolute nonsense. It really is, and we've got to, we've got to put it right. I mean, I'm not here to. to to uh, proselytize for, for, for the women's movement. They do that very well. Obviously, <laughs> I support you wherever I can. But um, no, uh, you know, the, the, the fact is, it's no good saying women can't join, women can't be, it's that the other thing. Um, but in the 18th century, of course, it was, it was not only perfectly natural to say it, nobody even questioned uh, that fact. Women were simply not included. Sure. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going about this, uh, you know, me being a mainstream guy, you know, kind of got to be careful with wording, but I'm going about this not in a manner of trying to uh, debate it any uh, certain way, but just, you know, looking at the history, looking at the facts and, uh, and where we're at with it. Um, but with that being said, going forward, do you ever see joint recognition coming into play? Do you see this uh, spreading into a, a mainstream uh, scenario or do you see it always uh, ended up being separate just because that's the way it's always been? Okay, let me take you across the English Channel into France. Sure. In France, which is the largest Masonic body in France, do you know? Uh, I'd in imagine the Grand Orient. The Grand Orient, right. The Grand Orient in 2010, for reasons I won't go into, it's a bit complicated, but, uh, you know, decided to start admitting women, okay? So the largest Masonic body in France, which I think, um, no, I'm not, I'm not going to hazard a guess at the, their membership. Anyway, they're the largest in France and also in the territories overseas, um, started admitting women. And now almost every lodge agenda or summons you look at from, I'm going to a lodge in Paris next week, so I'm, I'm, and I'm seeing, I will be seeing in that, because I'm allowed to visit anything. Uh, the, the French don't make a, 
a distinction like that. You know, I don't get excluded as I do in England. Um, I'm going to a, a lodge of the Grand Orient in Paris, where they are going to interview two young ladies who want to be initiated. They're going to initiate two young ladies who have already been interviewed. They're going to pass to the second degree another young lady, right? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's rolling. The whole thing in France is, 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 is developing, developing, developing. But you see, the problem is that that's the French model. And the French model isn't something that the Brits like. And therefore, because the Brits don't like it, or the United Grand Lodge of England don't like it, the Grand Lodge of America don't like it either. Okay, because they all adhere to this business of um, sticking to to sticking to the rule of clarity, which means aligning yourself with the United Grand Lodge of England. United Grand Lodge of England is in effect a, a kind of it's the sort of the Pope of Freemasonry. It controls everything, and you guys in America, but also in Germany, in many other countries in the world, they all pay obedience to the United Grand Lodge of England. I'm not quite sure how healthy that is. I like the French model. When I go to France, I can go to many lodges, some of them mixed, some of them all male, some of them all female. Doesn't matter. Hmm. I'm welcomed as a, 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 as a visitor. So to me, to come back to your question, I've got a habit of answering questions. You're fine. It's gone a long way. I have to edit all this. Um, to, to me, when I look at, at that model of how things are in France, I can't see how it won't happen. I can't see how in time either the English will start admitting women to their lodges or they will allow intervisiting between men and women, Freemasons, one or the other. I mean, nobody's imposing things on you. In the Grand Orient of France, there are some lodges who said, we don't want women in our lodge. That's fine. So they don't have women in their lodge. That's okay. There's nothing dogmatic about it. You don't have to do what the other lodges are doing. But with this sort of movement and with the business of gender equality in the world and the business of equal, um, equal rights, which is what we're talking about, we're talking about rights of people to do this and that. It's unstoppable, Alex. You know, it, it really is unstoppable. It's going to happen. I, I don't know how. And I don't know when, how soon, but I think it's going to happen. Well, I, you know, I, I can see it and I can't. It, it, it's, you know, in today's day and age, it, it's hard to, uh, to put both into uh, play. You know, I don't know, on a, on a uh, philosophical level, I guess, you know, looking at the degrees and everything, um, you know, besides the fact that, you know, we, we took an oath there. You know, just to look at the the philosophical side, you know, I, I guess I, you know, I wouldn't see a reason why. Um, but there, there is that that deep line fact of, you know, we, we took an oath. Um, but you can also question where where that oath came from. You know, why you took an oath. So there is both sides there, and like I said, I'm not coming into this to debate it, um, but more just to, um, you know, accept the historical relevance and look at it in that manner. Um, I would say, you know, personal guessing or opinion going forth if it were to get accepted i think it would have to be um you know on the grand lodge of england first um before it kind of spread out i think 
they're they're kind of that 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 body that everyone looks to as the ultimate recognition you know if you're not you know ultimately recognized by the grand lodge of england you're nobody um so yeah i don't, I don't see a, a lodge in uh you know kansas or anything saying hey come on in um without you know yeah down the road past the grand lodge of england saying okay this is what we're doing i think there'd still be a lot of uh a lot of ruffled feathers for a while after that um, but i think that would be the only path there so where where i do find delight is you know regardless of who is practicing freemasonry um you're saying on the other side on the on the co-ed side that you see a lot more of the interest into the esoterics and what I would consider, you know, the, the root of Freemasonry. And, you know, that, that is good to think that, you know, if anyone is going to practice this craft that we're, uh, you know, that's so near and dear to our hearts, um, that they're doing it in a, in a, you know, correct manner in a, you know, a, a respected manner, so to speak. Um, so kind of what are your feelings there? Do you think you have gotten more in the esoteric side switching over Okay, well, before I left United Grand Lodge of England, there were a number of us who had got together to try and um, promote the inner meaning of Freemasonry, rather like your traditional observance people on your side of the island are doing, uh, Andrew and uh, people like him, whom I admire very much. I know Andrew, and I, I know very well with him. Um, and we started up a thing called the Cornerstone Society, okay. where, we debate, where we debated, not in open lodge, this was in an untiled meeting, we debated matters of interest to us from an esoteric, symbolic, allegorical point of view, like, for instance, what is the meaning of, uh, what is the meaning of the blazing star in Freemasonry? Let's talk about the blazing star for a couple of hours. Uh, might sound boring to you, but actually it gets very, very uh, interesting. Why do we have a Bible in Lodge? What is, what is the point of that? Um, the compasses, why, why do we place such an important uh, uh, such importance on, on the compasses as a as a symbol, and so on. And um, we, we started attracting all sorts of people to us, but sadly, the, the Grand Lodge didn't particularly like us because they thought we were going going way off beam and we weren't sort of following the rule enough. Um, now, so they're, they're, you know, there are still, they're still there. I mean, I know a number of these guys who are still in United Grand Lodge of England still seeking that path in their own regular lodges and doing well. And I wish them all the, all the um, happiness and progress in the world. So it's not something that's exclusive to one or the other, you know, over that side, bad, no symbolism, no esotericism, over this side, good, all esoteric, all, all allegorical. It's not like that at all. What it is, is it's the emphasis. And over my side, the side I'm on now, the emphasis is the right emphasis. It's the emphasis on how these, I mean, you've got to imagine how our 
guys in the 18th century were practicing their Freemasonry. You know, where, where do we come from? What practices do we come from? I'll tell you what practices we come from. The practices we come from are a world where guys were being instructed, you know, for months sometimes before they could progress from one degree to another. Where they, they were learning stuff of real value, not just answer a few questions later into the second degree. Um, so all we're doing is going back to where we were in the seven, late 1700s. That's what we're doing. Simple as that. <laughs> well, brother, um, you know, it, it's kind of one of those topics we can go back on and uh, go both sides of it for hours and hours. But, sure. you know, I, uh, I do appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing that history with us. And I want to give you the opportunity um, to pass along uh, kind of any thoughts or anything. Um, and uh, any plugs, promotions, websites, all that good stuff. And then I'll, you know, I'll have some final thoughts as well. So go ahead, brother. Well, um, the only thing I would do, I, I, I would um, ask, you, I think this book, of all the books I've showed you, this book is worth a plug. It's my book on the tracing boards. And it does talk an awful lot without going into women in Freemasonry at all, because I wrote still early on the side so, <laughs> okay so so you won't be you won't be contaminated if you read okay. it's, it's a really good book about the symbolism the allegory what happens to to us we are what are tracing boards for i know in america you don't use them a lot anymore um but i i've i've dug around a number of museums in in the states lexington and new york in particular and uh, there are a lot of American tracing boards in there. So for you guys, it would be really interesting to get that book. It's called Tracing Boards of the Three Degrees in Craft Freemasonry. Um, no, I have no plugs, really. And I'm, I, it would be a mistake to, to, to say that I'm not respectful of every Freemason's um, um, affiliations and adherences and aspirations. And if a man sincerely feels no women in freemasonry is wrong that's fine with me i don't seek to convert people or to to change their minds but i do think it's nice nice funny word it's good to have an open mind and if you have you can have an open heart you you have an open heart heaven knows where you can go totally understand that and, uh, you know, kind of my, my final thoughts here on the show is, uh, is basically, brethren, uh, no matter your, your feel on the acceptance or non-acceptance of female Masons, um, I, I would say this, that uh, it, it's an obvious they do exist. But at the core, we are Masons, right? And I think as Masons, we are called to be something, something more, and hold ourselves accountable to, or accountable to a certain level of being. Um, with that being said, you know, going through social media and stuff, some of the arguments and the things being said out there, um, you know, we we should really get to a point that we can just say, hey, you know what? Even though we're not going to set in lodge together, and you're not going to come to my lodge, I'm not going to come to your lodge. That's kind of besides the point. But we can we can recognize and appreciate that we both have a deep love and interest in a, in a common bond there, and uh, you know appreciate that you know if 
practicing, even if you're not going to, you know, partake in their side of it, um, you know, to hear that it's being practiced with dignity and respect, um, you know, that that's the least that could be asked. So just keep that in mind, um, whether you are for it, against it, regardless of the fact, um, when you conduct yourselves, yourselves as a Mason and, uh, and keep that in mind, um, because we need to to the higher standard and that's that's one of the biggest reasons that I, you know I wanted to do this today because the huge debate I see on uh, on social media today and I think brethren forget um, that that's worldwide that that's put out to everybody and the way that we act regardless of our uh, you know our associations and our feelings on that that's what's projected to the world of that's what masons are and we come off as very judgmental and bickering and that's not what Freemasons are supposed to be. So I would beg of all of you to keep that in mind and, uh, you know, just uh, recognize the common bond, but more than anything, conduct yourselves as a Mason. Um, with that, I uh, want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, sharing some history um, from the craft and everything that you have, and we appreciate all your work and being here with us today. So thank you so much, brother, and we, uh, we hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, Alex. Thank you.